Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Galatians chapter 6. This morning we will be finishing up our series that we launched a few months ago in the book of Galatians. It is good to hear what God is doing around the world. It's good for us. It's good to hear that he is alive and working. Sometimes it's easy for us to look insular, to look at what is going on in our own lives, and and it's a good reminder for us that God is working. Thank you, Matt, for being here this morning and sharing with us uh, all that God is doing through Adventure Soccer. I know you guys don't get to be a part of the conversations that I get to be a part of during the week, but this, that was only just a, a, a snapshot, the scratch and sniff version, if you will, of all that God has been doing through Adventure Soccer. And it's, it's exciting, and we're happy to partner with that mission work. Well, this morning, uh, we will be in Galatians chapter 6. As I said, we'll be finishing up this series And uh, as we look toward the end of this series, Paul's conclusion here, we see that the central theme of Paul's conclusion to the Galatian churches is the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul will boast in nothing but the cross. Uh, Praise God, we have multiple eyewitness accounts of the mission and teaching of Jesus, a theme we will explore in our series to come over the next five weeks on the life and ministry of Christ. Uh, But praise God, we can open his word and read in our own language. We have the very word of God, a divine revelation. And if I may, just indulge me for a moment as I boast on this amazing work that God has given us in his word. The word of God is an amazing gift. Compiled over 40 generations, the spanning of the writing of Scripture spanned over 1,500 years by 40 different writers from from every walk of life. We have writers that were kings and rabbis, shepherds, tax collectors, fishermen, doctor, a government official, prophets. They were from every walk of life. We have writers in different situations, writing in times of peace, in times of war, while exiled, while traveling, while in prison, while in a palace, while in the wilderness, many different times, uh, different situations that they wrote God's words for us. Not only different situations, but also different emotional states. God's word was written at heights of joy and in the depths of despair. God's word was given to us in three languages, yet the biblical authors spoke with harmony and continuity. There is one story. And this story leads the readers, us, as we open God's word, leads us to the cross of Christ. 66 books in the English Bible, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. Of the 27 New Testament books, many of which were letters to the church, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote 13 of them. In this first letter of 13 uh, that's been preserved for us, which makes up much of the New Testament content from Paul, uh, Paul emphasizes the centrality of the cross of Christ in his ministry and, more importantly, in his life. Paul, in another letter, writes to the church, In 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 4, and he says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The big idea in this sermon this morning is that Christians are called to boast, not in the works of the flesh, but to boast in the perfect work of God, the cross of Christ. I pray that as we read this conclusion this morning, we will see the, the angst of Paul's ending here and his, his summary of this letter as he writes to the church, the Galatian churches. And so would you look to God's word with me as we read the ending of the letter to Galatians, beginning uh, in chapter 6, verse 11, where Paul writes this. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that you may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus." We will pause there, uh, finish up the, the, the letter at the end. But uh, what we see here is uh, beginning at, at this Paul's conclusion, he begins by adding emphasis. And we see we have, we have largely in our culture and in our day, we've lost the significance of making a statement. I remember back in the 90s, there was a guy that actually, if, if, if you were during that time, there was a Christian artist by the name of Steve Taylor that wrote a song about this guy called Banner Man. He would go to, to sports, sporting events and shine John 3.16. And he was making a statement, trying to get attention. And, and largely today, we, we have lost the significance of making a statement. It's a consequence of the rise of the digital age and particularly of the social media movement where everyone makes a statement every day. And uh, having said that, we come to Paul's conclusion where he, in verse 11, likely taking the quill from his amanuensis or his secretary that was writing for him, he says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you. Uh, today's equivalent would be typing in all caps. Now, if you are a all cap typer, hear this gentle correction. Typing in all caps is the same as yelling. It's emphatic. It's not to be done all the time. Now, I have a confession in this. I'm not an all-caps all typer, but I am an all-caps writer. So when I handwrite, it's just in all caps. So yes, my confession is I'm a yelling handwriter. But Paul is adding emphasis on this. Uh, and he's adding emphasis as he summarizes these points of, of the letter to the, to the Galatian churches. Now, some scholars have noted uh, that this statement may have been due to Paul's failing eyesight, that he was showing the large letters, and, and uh, it could be his thorn in his flesh had something to do with his eyes, as he references in 2 Corinthians 12. Although that's not out of the realm of possibility, I'm inclined to, to, to agree with those scholars who uh, 
this being early in Paul's ministry, point this break-in protocol to an entirely uh, for added emphasis to drive the importance of Paul's conclusion here. I think Paul, as, as a secretary is scribing for him, says, no, I want them to know this conclusion is not just pleasantries at the end of my letter. This is a summary of what I want you to grab a hold of as you, as you hear these last words in this letter. So Paul is adding emphasis uh, to drive the importance of his closing points. So what is Paul's point? Summed up, it is this. We are not saved by works of the flesh. Therefore, we ought not boast in works of the flesh. But we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul summarizes this in pointing our attention and our affection to the cross. And says, therefore, we ought to boast in the cross. Paul uh, uses the analogy of three crosses, which Charles Spurgeon points to in this text. And he says there's three crucifixions that are given in Paul's uh, outro here. Three crosses or three crucifixions. All have been crucified. And he says the cross, uh, Christ crucified brought salvation, brought this work in Paul's life. But then Paul says, Paul has been crucified by the world. To the world, Paul is nothing. Paul rejoices in this. In fact, earlier in this letter, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul rejoices that he does not find significance from the world, that he has been crucified. The world has crucified him. At this point, it is, it is just figuratively. He's saying, I am nothing in the eyes of the world. And he says also, the world has been crucified to me. He says, the world is dead to him. And according to Paul, so it shall be for all believers. The thinking, the acting, the attitude and behavior of this world is not to describe those who are in Christ Jesus. For that way has been nailed to the cross. And no more does it have power or sway over believers. We'll discuss these two points in more depth uh, as we get into the text a little bit more. But Charles Spurgeon, as I said, uh, looks at, at Galatian, looked at Galatians 6.14 and said that this was the theme of Paul's ministry. That the world has been crucified to him and he to the world because Christ was crucified. And so his attention is not on the things of this world or on himself. His attention is on Christ. And he directs his readers to focus our attention on Jesus as well. Paul was radically cross-centered. Cross he stands in contrast to the false teachers that are in Galatia who were relentlessly self-centered. Again, our idea to walk away with today is that Christians are called to boast not in works of the flesh, but to boast in the perfect work of God, the cross of Christ. At the end of this letter, Paul wants his readers to catch hold of the importance of lifelong boasting in the cross, which is the work of God, and to reject the temptation to boast in the flesh, which is the work of man. And it is to these two responses that we will now turn. 
After his emphatic statement to get our attention in verse 11, we see in 12 and 13, Paul describes those who boast in the flesh. So those, those who boast in the flesh, they make a good showing of the flesh. And then he talks about circumcision, and this has been a theme throughout his letter. So why circumcision? Christianity was viewed at this time, when Paul wrote this letter, Christianity was viewed as a sect of Judaism. And so these Judaizers, uh, which were self-proclaimed Christians coming in the name of Christ to the churches and, and, and proclaiming uh, to these new Christians that they need to adopt Jewish tradition and up, up, adhere to the Jewish law. This is a lot of Paul's argument through the book of Galatians was against this way of thinking. And so he summarizes this at the end and and one, to avoid persecution from the Jews, since Judaism was viewed as a sect, I'm sorry, Christianity was viewed as a sect of Judaism, the Jews would come and, 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 and attempt to, to force the Christians to follow the, the traditions and the law of Judaism because the world viewed it as a part of Judaism. And so to avoid persecution from these Jews, some Christians were traveling around uh, false Christians were traveling around and telling the church, these new believers, that they were to be circumcised and, and, and to follow the outward appearance of the law. And so it was avoiding persecution from the Jews for them to, to adhere to this. And so Paul points this out and he says, these Judaizers, these people who come with this pretense of Christianity, they're preaching a false gospel, largely what this whole letter is addressing he said, they're wanting to boast in what you are, in your outward action. They're wanting to, to sidestep any persecution from the Jews by just telling you to get circumcised, not because they cared about the law, but because they cared about appearances. Additionally, to, to sidestepping persecution from the Jews, they could also boast in the number of conversions, as weird as that might sound. It was their ministry success to say how many people were circumcised. They could tangibly take tally, and they were, they were boasting in how many people uh, were, were being circumcised as part of their ministry. And as I read this, it reminded me of, of a time uh, when I was youth pastoring out in New Jersey in, in 2010, six months after the uh, 2010 earthquake in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, we took a team of, uh, of mostly senior high, but some junior high, not the brightest thing I've ever done, but you know, God was gracious, it all worked out, uh, right to Port-au-Prince, Haiti on the six-month anniversary of the earthquake um, to serve the, the, the people of Port-au-Prince. And while serving a day with this team at a medical uh, clinic, there was another short-term team from somewhere in the United States uh, that was there at this clinic as well. On this team, uh, there was a middle-aged man uh, who, who set himself up at the doorway of this clinic and would not allow anyone uh, to enter the clinic uh, to get medical care for their children or for themselves, to get clue, uh, clothing or food. Uh, and they could not enter the doorway unless they, in his words, prayed the sinner's prayer. And he was literally in his book keeping tally of how many people prayed this prayer. And as he said, so he could go home and say how many people got saved through his missionary efforts. 
uh, my initial, my blood started to boil initially. Uh, Though I commend his evangelistic zeal, he greatly lacked compassion. And he greatly lacked care for an understanding of the gospel. Sadly, rather, this man's methods were that of manipulation and coercion, even forcing. Because what were they to do? If their child was sick, of course they were going to do anything that they needed to to get through that door and get the medical care. So it was not a love for the gospel and a love for these people that promoted him to do such things. Boy, I was fired up. By God's grace, I held my tongue and let his leaders talk to him and not me. But it gives me a tangible example of what Paul was feeling when these men came into the church and led the congregation, those who he invested in, astray in this way of thinking, in boasting in works of the flesh, in manipulating them to jump through the hoops that they made so they could go back and give a report in boasting in the work they had done. This attitude is very self-centered and self-exalting, which Paul contrasts with the attitude that he takes in the light of the cross of Christ. Philip Ryken, who I'll have a few quotes from this morning, says this of these men. He says, false religion gets caught up in externals, like attendance figures and worship rituals. See, Paul notes these, these actions, forcing people into circumcision, were done not out of zeal or love for the law. Because Paul notes, they don't keep the law themselves. It's not because they love the law that they're, they're going out and, and, and trying to convert people into following God's design. No, it's rather a desire to make a good showing in the flesh in order to boast in their own work. Riken continues, he says, there is a continual temptation for the church to turn the gospel into the cross plus something else. Whether that something else is a deed or a duty, a sacrament or a social cause, the problem is always the plus. For the gospel to be the gospel, the cross must stand alone. Paul, exasperated by these false brothers, these self-proclaimed Christians that we've seen earlier in this series, Paul, exasperated, he, 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 he brings uh, this, this, these false teachers again up at the end of his letter and the false gospel they promote, and, and, he, and he concludes his letter by asserting that Christians, those who are are following the way and the design of God. They're called to boast not in works of the flesh, but to boast in the perfect work of God, the cross of Christ. And so he turns his attention there. In verses 14 and 15, after contrasting those who boast in the work of the flesh, he uses himself as an example in boasting in the cross. And he says, but far be it from me, to boast. Now, in the Greek, this is the strongest Greek negative that, 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 that Paul could use at that time. And it could be also translated as, I will not boast. So Paul says, I won't boast. But if I were to boast, I would not boast in the things that I have done. I would boast in the cross. I would boast in the cross of Christ. 
It's as if Paul, overwhelmed by all that Christ has done for him, in the shadow of the cross, considers how his own accolades, accomplishments, talents, and works, those things he would have been tempted to boast in, appear utterly worthless. You see, when our eyes are upon the promises of God fulfilled in Christ, how can we boast? How can we boast in who we think we are and what we think that we have done of great significance? How can we boast in ourselves and our works? This is Paul's declaration in Philippians chapter 3. Right? As he re- recounts his pedigree, and he says, if, if those were to come among you with confidence in the flesh, he says, I have more reason to have confidence in my own flesh. And he lists out in Philippians chapter 3, this long list of accomplishments he's, he's made. And when he gets to the end of it, he says, this is rubbish. This is, this is worthless. Paul, in the light of what God has done for him, through Christ at the cross, says there is nothing of greater significance that I could ever do that would distract my attention and my affections from what Christ has done for me. Paul declares, these things that I've done, they're worthless when compared to what Christ has done at the cross. Philippians 3 isn't the only place that Paul sings this song. Consider in similar verses of this charge from Paul. Romans 12, 2 through 3, Paul says this. He charges the church, do not be conformed to this world. The world that, remember, as we saw in Galatians, that Paul says he's been crucified to and it's been crucified to him. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Not to focus on yourself, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And in 1 Corinthians 1.18 Plainly, Paul says to the church, he says, the word, which is also, uh, can also be translated as the message or the preaching of the cross, is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God, the cross of Christ. And he calls the church Not just the churches in Galatia, but he calls the church at large, us included, to set our affection and attention on the cross of Christ, what he has done for you and me. The point is this, Christ, not the world, is the treasure. The greatest treasure What your soul is searching for is not something the world can provide. Though it may try to tempt with glittering imitations, it is only the treasure is Christ. The world, its way and its systems with all its noise and distraction. Paul says they're crucified and dead to him. And since the works of the flesh are dead, looking for salvation through works of the law is also dead. There's no life there. Paul has argued earlier in this letter, it's insufficient, it's worthless. 
new life, new creation is found in Christ alone. Again, Philip Ryken reminds us well by saying, quote, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, means boasting in the cross alone. To understand this is to understand Galatians. More than that, it is to understand the gospel. So the question I ask myself and you as well this morning In which will you boast? Verses 16 and 17, Paul turns his attention to to his readers. And he says, And as for all who walk in this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, upon the Israel of God. Those who walk by this standard, affection and attention solely on Christ and the, the work of salvation at the cross, He said this different ways throughout this letter. Those who walk by this standard or those who walk by the Spirit or those who keep in step with the Spirit. This has been a theme throughout Paul's letter. Is walking according to God's design, which leads us to the cross. And those who walk according to God's design, walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, walk by this standard, are those who boast not in works of the flesh, but boast in the cross. What comes as a result of boasting in the cross, Paul says, peace, shalom, and mercy upon the Israel of God, which is kind of an unusual term. So Tom Schreiner, author and, and, uh, and seminary professor, says this of that term. It says, quote, when, when Paul, he, when he speaks of the Israel of God at the conclusion of the letter of Galatians, where he rehearses the major themes of the letter, he is driving home the point that believers in Christ, members of the new creation, are the true Israel. He's talked about this, argued this in the letter as well. Those who are in Christ are the people of God. And so, Paul puts two things forward for for the people who who follow this design, who walk by the Spirit, who keep in step with the Spirit. He says, two things are ours for those who are in Christ, whose focus and boast is the cross. One is eternal reward in Christ, this peace that cannot be taken away, God's mercy, which never runs dry. So for the true people of God, there is an eternal reward that is ours, and there's also a promise of temporal suffering. Paul says, these marks on my body are reminders. The the marks that Paul bears on his body are that of persecution for proclaiming the cross of Christ. And so he says, two things to hold on to for those whose attention and affection is, is on the cross of Christ, that one, the promises of God are ours. They're yes and amen. They are ours to hold on to, and they are of an eternal nature. They cannot be taken away from us. And two, the world is going to hate you for them. You may bear marks on your body for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be ready for that, church. Paul makes makes no excuse for this. 
He makes no provision for, for hiding. He just says, listen, these are the realities. The promises, the eternal promises are ours for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so is the temporal persecution that we will face. For generations, we have not faced that here in the West. That day may change. Brothers and sisters, are we ready? If we were to lose all of our temporal blessings, which by the way, one pastor said one time, everything that you own is, is either will, will, will be uh, a part of a garage sale, uh, a fire pit, or a landfill later. It's good to keep that perspective. Are we, are we ready to lose all of the temporal blessings and hold tightly to the eternal promises that are ours in Christ Jesus? I think one of the ways that we prepare our hearts for that is by standing with our brothers and sisters around the world. Even if it's just in prayer and heart, not just in prayer, <laughs> God forgive me, even if it is in prayer, in, 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 in standing with them, thinking of them, crying for them, praying with them, identifying with them. I think that prepares our hearts for what may come in our lifetime. I think opportunities to get outside of our comfortable lives in America are good. It's good for us to go and see how. I remember the, the first mission trip I went to, uh, I was 14 years old. It radically changed my world forever. The experiences that I had, the people that I met, that were outside of my comfortable American Western bubble, it was good. I remember returning one time from, from an extended time overseas, walking into a Walmart and seeing the rows of cereal and weeping not that these, these temporal blessings are bad in and of themselves, but we need to hold them loosely and hold tightly to the eternal promises. For some, being crucified to the world is, is a figurative term. It happens in our hearts. For others, it's a literal one. But we must set our eyes on that which is eternal and set our hope upon the cross. For we are called to boast not in the works of our flesh, but to boast in the perfect work of God and the cross of Christ. So how do we know if we are boasting in the cross or boasting in our flesh? Well, pastor and author David Platt and uh, Tony Merida, in, in their commentary on Galatians, describe a life boasting in the cross, and they describe it as a cross-centered life, a life that revolves around Christ, the cross at the center. And they give six examples of what this might look like. The first example of a cross-centered life is humble, not prideful. The second example of a cross-centered life boasts in the cross, not in self, which is Paul's argument. A third example of a cross-centered life is that they treasures Christ and not the world. Fourth example 
is that it values spiritual transformation, not external ritual. Number five, a cross-centered life walks in truth, not error. And number six, a cross-centered life seeks to please Christ, not man. Often you'll hear from me, whether it's leading worship or praying or whatever, it's, it is our attentions and our affections that must be directed toward God. Because the world wants our attention and has many distractions to grab our attention and wants our affections. That we would love these things. That we would love our comforts more than we ought to. Not to appreciate them as blessings from God, but to hold tightly to them. And Paul's argument here in this text is don't hold tightly to those things which are fading, but hold tightly to that which is eternal. Hold tightly to the promises of God. So boast, my brother, boast, my sister, but boast not in the works of the flesh, but boast in the cross of Christ. Now, if you are here this morning and you have come to realize that you have not responded to this good news, the gospel, the good news that at the cross, Jesus took the punishment for your sin and suffered so that you may stand in his righteousness, no longer under the wrath of of God, but adopted into God's family. If you recognize your affections and your attention are still grounded here in this world, I don't care how many times you've been to church. It's, it's examining where our affections and our attentions are. If you find that your affection and attention is still grounded here in this world, that the default setting of this world still holds power over you, I plead with you today, respond to the good news of salvation in Christ with repentance and faith. Receive salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Repent of your sin and trust in the person and work of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, our mission here on this earth is to boast in the cross of Christ. To proclaim that, that there is nothing of more importance than what Jesus has done. So may we boast not in the works of our flesh, but rather may you and I forever boast in the perfect work of God, the cross of Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, today I, I come before you and I confess there's many times, God, that, that I am more wrapped up in myself and the things that I've done, the experiences that I've had, though not bad in and of themselves, God, let me not boast in them. Let me not boast in my talent. In my, in my title, in my whatever. Let us not boast in those things. In the things that we can do or think that we can do that have significance, that gain attention from others. Lord, let us, like Paul, say these things don't matter to us because we've been crucified to the world and the world is crucified to us, but that our attention and affection is focused solely on you, Jesus, making much of you, 
that through our actions and our words, with our talents and our time and our treasure, the things that you have given us, that we might use them to make much of you, Jesus. And I confess, Lord, we need your spirit to teach us how to do that. We need your Holy Spirit to give us a desire for your word, a deeper love for your people, and a greater longing for the lost to come and be reconciled to you. I pray that you would work in our lives, not for our comfort, but for your glory, Jesus. Mold us and shape us into your image. Help us to turn our attention and affections away from the image, the false images of this world. Help us to keep our eyes on the cross to the glory of your name. Amen.